Working Class Audio is made possible by the support of Cali Audio, DistroKid, Sampley Audio, Audio Technica, Gearspace, and Grace Design. This is the Working Class Audio Podcast, Session 268. Working Class Audio, navigating the world of recording with a working class perspective. Here's your host, Matt Boudreaux. Thanks, Chuck. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Working Class Audio Podcast. This is session 268 you're listening to. My guest today is Frank Jolly. Frank is the front of house sound person for the band Simple Plan. He's also a studio owner, producer, engineer, mixer, and he has a studio located just outside of Montreal called Moon Sun Studio, located in the North Shore area. I have no idea where the North Shore area is, but Frank assures me that's where it is, so I'm going to take his word for it. I met Frank because of our mutual friend, former WCA guest, Chris Salem. We all met up, of course, at NAM and hung out for several days, so Frank and I uh, got a chance to hang out, chat, talk audio, talk life. Immediately, I knew that he should be on the show. Very much looking forward to our conversation here. Frank Jolly coming up here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. All right, grab your coffee cups, friends. Let's talk about clearing the plate, knowing when to say no, huh? I'm not going to say no to this coffee, though. Mm. Oh, that one's good. That's... Yeah, that's good. So, you know, we're always talking about all the, you know, all the different things I talk to you about as far as, you know, diversification and income streams and, you know, working with clients and work, work, work and doing all this. So I'll throw this at you. Do you know when to say no? Do you know when to clear the plate, so to speak? Do you know when enough is enough? Do you know when you need to just turn down clients that, you know, in spite of the fact that they may be good for your career or your or your bottom line, do you know when it's time to just say, no, I'm good, thanks. That's a tough one. I don't think it's easily learned. I think it takes some time. And there's different scenarios that dictate when we should do that. And it's up to us as individuals to figure out when that is. Uh, you know, I'm not going to tell you there's a cookie cutter way to do that because there's not. That's your thing and my thing. And uh, it's an individual thing. And it's uh, based on your own life situation. Let's, let's first talk about why we would say no. Well, a couple different reasons. Obviously, family situations. Uh, let's start, you know, for me, kids, birthdays, important events, and also the timing of some, some of those things. That's why um, calendaring is so important because if you, if you calendar well, if I can say that, if you calendar well, then you're gonna know ahead of time when the events are that you don't wanna clash with, right? Parents, at the beginning of the school year, they hand out the calendar. If your kid's in band, they generally let you know when the concerts are. If your kid's in a sporting event, they generally will tell you when the uh, when the games are, when the practices are. So if those things are important to you, talk the talk and walk the walk, my friends. Get those things in your calendar and know ahead of time so that when a client calls that wants your time, you should be able to look at your calendar and in a moment, no, no, you know what? My kid's got a, a basketball game or my kid's got a concert, it's the biggest concert of the year, and I can't miss it. And then there comes the question of, what do you say? You know, what kind of gig is it? Is it a travel gig? Is it a high paying gig? What is your threshold of saying no or saying yes? That's a tough one. I'm not going to, you know, say, oh, that's easy. You ju- you know, you just do this because I don't know. I don't know what your situation is. You have to weigh all those things in your mind. You know, there's some clients that, let's face it, they are groundbreaking clients for you. They are career-breaking clients, you know? They could be the client that puts you on the map and gets the phone ringing. And you have to weigh that in your mind. Sometimes you can't judge a book by its cover. It might be a local band asking you to come and do a gig, and you might think, ah, they're just a local band. Well, let me tell you, in the Bay Area, there's been a lot of local bands over the years. Metallica, Four Non Blondes, Journey, 
Primus. You know, I could go on and on and on. So don't always judge a book by its cover. You never know where that could lead. But at the same time, you also have to, you know, look at your particular situation and say, you know what? Life's short. I want to be there for my kid. And there you go. You make the decision. You got to figure it out. And obviously, when we're talking about location sound gigs, you know, those tend to be, if you're working on a movie, uh, those can be kind of long-term commitments. And you probably already have something figured out with your significant other with regards to childcare and, you know, hey, I'm going to miss this. I'm going to miss that. I, you know, I, I'm going to, I'm not going to say that those of you in location sound know how to manage your calendars better, but you all generally, I think, have bigger commitments. I know former WCA guest Left Lefferts, uh, he works with Randy Tom out at Skywalker Sound. And when I talk to Lef, every time I talk to him, it's, oh my gosh, you know, we're booked out like six months in advance. We're going to work on this movie, this movie, this movie, this movie. And they, they do post-production uh, stuff. Um, now, if you don't have kids, then that's a different story and you've got more flexibility, but you might have somebody in your life that's important to you. You know, wife, husband, boyfriend, girlfriend, dog. All those are important people or uh, animals in our lives. And we have to figure out how we're going to manage that. Also, sometimes we can overload on gigs. You know, it's like the equivalent of going to a, a cafeteria uh, and just going down the line and going, oh, well, I'll have some of that, some of that, some of that, some of that. By the time you get to the cash register, the plate is absolutely chock full and there's no way, there's no way you're going to be able to eat all that food. So maybe you should rethink how you pack your schedule. You know what? I have some friends that I think, I think they just take on too much, travel too much, take on too many gigs. And as a result, I think sometimes shit falls through the cracks. When that happens, you do a half-assed job. People aren't happy. Really think it through. Are you taking on too much? Here's, here's another one. And this will kind of conclude what I'm talking about. Another reason you should consider saying no and turning away a gig is if you're not the right person for it. And I don't care how broke you are. If you're in a position and where you need a gig like now and you're a hip hop producer, hip hop engineer primarily, and that's what you know, and that's your bread and butter, and you've never done a metal record or vice versa, you're a metal, metal person and you've never done a hip hop record, unless you feel like you can handle it and you can take care of that client, don't take it. Say no, just, you know, hey, I'm not the right person for this. I've never done a metal record. I've never done a hip hop record. I've, you know, you've got to let people know. You've got to be completely transparent. And I think that transparency, I, I think that that carries great weight. That honesty carries great weight. So don't bullshit people. Tell them, tell them the truth. And I think that that is going to get you further down the road when you do that, when you are honest with people. So back, back to what I was saying in the beginning, this is all up to you. You got to just figure out when to say no. And I wish you luck. I hope whatever your decision, it works out for the best for you. So that's that. Most of you already know about Grace Design and have known about them for years. Uh, they've been around since 1994. It was started by the two brothers, Michael and Eben Grace, who still run the company to this day. And you already know that they make incredible sounding products for us all. What you might not know if you don't know them is that Michael and Eben are two of the nicest people on the planet. Easily approachable, very knowledgeable. You might have met them at a trade show and experienced this. Without a doubt, it's one of my favorite companies out there in the world of pro audio. You might have heard me a few times talking about the Grace 908 Atmos controller. I think the most elegant solution, if you're going to be doing Atmos, that is the best solution out there, as far as I'm concerned, hands down. And prior to that, I was using the Stereo 905 controller for many years. Not only that, but most recently, I have used their 108 mic pre's to do the Room 219 combo jazz record that you might have heard me talk about. The point is, is that they check all the boxes for me. They're incredibly nice people. They make incredibly great products. They're located here in the United States in Lyons, Colorado, and employ a number of people. They're the epitome of a small business here in the U.S., and I just love that whole thing. So 
If you are in the market for mic preamps or instrument preamps or monitor controllers, this is the company to check out hands down. If you don't know about them, go to gracedesign.com, check them out. And if you're in the market for any of those products, you absolutely have to consider what they offer because what they offer is superior build quality and sound quality. And those of you who bought their products in the 90s that are still using them, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So check them out, gracedesign.com. I know the business of audio is a frustrating one sometimes. The audio part's pretty, pretty fun, but it's the business of it and the career part of it that's a little challenging to many of us. I can completely empathize with that. And if you thought to yourself, God, I wish I could talk to somebody about this, you can do that. You could talk with me about it. As a matter of fact, you can book me for a coaching and consulting call over Zoom very simply. Just head on over to workingclassaudio.com. If you click on the menu button, at the top of the menu, there is a link that says coaching and consulting with Matt. Super simple. Click on the link, book me in for an hour on a Zoom call, and we will discuss your particular situation, and I will help you get refocused, re-inspired, and figure out what is the best path forward for you. If your situation requires a little more extensive conversation, we can absolutely book a series of calls and, like I say, get you focused and get you moving forward. I've been there, and when you don't have anybody to talk to about it, it's a little frustrating. So head on over to workingclassaudio.com, click on the menu button, and book yourself in for a Zoom call with me. And we can sit down and chat, coffees in hand, ready to tackle the business of audio together. All right, let's get to it. Frank Jolly here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Hey, Frank, welcome to the podcast. Hey, what's up, man? You good? I'm good, man. It's good to be back home post-NAM where we met. Yeah, it was great. What a weekend there. Did you have a good time? Yeah, I was tired when I got home. When <laughs> I got home, it was like, I slept for like two days. Your flight was a little longer than my flight. Yeah, it was like about five-hour flight. Oh, that's not too bad. Yeah. Did you fly from LAX? LAX to Toronto and then Montreal. Okay. So it wasn't too bad. Okay. Well, I flew an hour and a half. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. No problem. No problem. So um, for the audience, Frank and I met via our mutual friend, Chris Salim from Mixdown.online. You all know Chris. He's been on the show. One main interview, and then he's made small guest appearances after that. Definitely a good friend. So how did you and Chris meet? We met maybe 10 years ago. I sold one of my microphone online and he sent me a text. Hey, I want to buy it. So I went to his place. It was, it was living maybe 30 minutes from my place. We had so many friends in common and we stopped talking and we got alone and we were friends since then. Excellent. Yeah. And we, we, we went to the same school. We went to the sound school in Drummondville maybe two years after me. So we talk about all the teachers we had and all that stuff. So it was pretty cool. Now, currently, you are the front of house sound person for the band Simple Plan. Correct. And for my American audience, if you don't know Simple <laughs> yeah. Plan and you have yeah. kids and you've ever watched the newer Scooby-Doo, they do the theme song. Exactly. Do you see have the song in your head? I do right now because we're talking about it. <laughs> okay. And I will not repeat the song because it will be stuck in everybody's head. Yeah. They also have a major, some major hits in, in the States, uh, When I'm Gone and the stuff, song like that. I'm Just a Kid. They were, they were pretty famous in the early 2000s and still are pretty big in the States. We just finished a big tour, like a month tour and like Asshole Blues and the Fillmore venues. So it was a pretty good tour. So how did you connect with Simple Plan? I knew some of the guys back back in the days, back in the beginning of Simple Plan because I was touring with other punk rock band from Montreal. So I knew some of the guys. But what makes me work with them, say, I was working for a French band called Les Trois Accords in Montreal. And we opened for them. And I guess my sound was good because the next day they called me and say, oh, we want to hire you. So you want to come on tour with me? So I say, oh, yeah. I want, to, I want to tour the world for sure. So <laughs> this is how I, I got into a simple plan. And I'm, 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 I've been with them for uh, 10 years now. It's my 10 years uh, this year. Wow, 10 years. Yeah, 10 years. So now I'm, I'm doing a bit more than, than just uh, front of house. I'm also sometimes when it's one-off, I'm doing tour manager and production manager also. My main job is still front of house guy. 
And what kind of venues are you going to nowadays? It depends because like in Canada, we do arena tour. So it's like 10 to 15,000 people. In the States, it can be from 1,000 to 3,000. Japan is like 6,000. Australia, 4,000. They're pretty big in South America. So we, we do 10,000. So it depends where we're going. Every country has different crowd and different venues, but it's around always 1,000 and 15,000. In Canada, when you play like in stadiums, is that a difficult thing to do to mix a band in an arena? Yes and no. I mean, it's always difficult to mix. It depends on the venue because some venues are more echo and more, not all the venues sound the same. And it's it's more like, it's kind of weird, but if you do a tour, arena tour and if it's raining during summer, mm. people's going to have like umbrellas sometimes. So it changed the sound more than when you do shows in small venues. I don't know. It's For me, it's kind of the same thing because I'm, I'm used to it. But I prefer doing club shows. It's always more punk rock. And I, I love our door festival also. But to answer your question, yeah, it's not that big a difference between an arena show and a club show. You just have to make everything sounds good. Hmm. <laughs> what is that like for you? Like, so you've been with the band for 10 years. Take me to the point where, so 10 years ago touring versus now, physically, is it more difficult now as you get older or do you just learn how to tour smarter so that your body doesn't take such a, such a hit? Uh, yes, it's, it's harder, especially because I just, I have a daughter now. She's going to turn two pretty soon. So, I mean, now when I'm going on tour, it's like I'm on vacation and I can sleep. But uh, <laughs> we're kind of lucky because Simple Plan, all the guys have kids. So we always go on tour for like three weeks max, three to four weeks. And then we go home for two weeks. So it's always like three weeks on the road, two weeks home, three weeks on the road, two weeks home. I will not be able to go on tour for like three months in a row. My girlfriend would freak out and even me. I'm, after three weeks, I can't wait to be home. So it's pretty chill with them because it's always been like that for the last 10 years. Always been like three, four weeks in a row, max. It's not too bad. What's more difficult is when we go to like Asia and we have flights every day. So like you do a show. You sleep at the hotel airport and then 6 a.m. in the morning, you take a flight, you go to Indonesia, you do your show and then airport, hotel, flights, show, flight show. It's always, so that's pretty difficult. Physically, was it more difficult 10 years ago than it is now? Is it harder on your body now? No, it's not too bad. Okay. It's not too bad. I'm still, I'm still not that old, but uh, so far so good. You're still a young man. Yeah, I'm going to turn 40, so it's not too bad. <laughs> not too bad. <laughs> From a logistical standpoint how does it compare once again 10 years ago to now in terms of how the band tours like 10 years ago was it by bus was it by van by plane like it's pretty much the same it's always like north america it's always in the bus and europe also is in a bus asia australia south america it's always flights there's no tour bus like in australia or in South America, you do like one show in a different country every day. Mm. So you cannot take a bus and the roads are too far. And uh, yeah, bus is always Europe, North America, and the rest is always flying. What changed gear-wise, the only thing that changed is now we travel with fractal axe effects. Back in the days, we used to travel with the real hemp. But now we, we switch everything with fractal. Fractal is like camper. same. Like it's oh, just a, okay, okay. Yeah, just another brand. That's the only difference because it, I have the same patch for the last 10 years, same microphone. So we, we carry pretty much everything. The only thing I'm not carrying when I'm flying every day, it's, it's the console. Okay. I just request what console I want. But I carry all the mics, all the cables, sub-snakes, and we carry pretty much everything except the drum. So we have a flight pack of 56 pieces, which is pretty big though. It's pretty expensive to fly. Is Simple Plan your only source of income? No, it's my main income. Okay. I'm also touring with other, other bands sometimes, uh, Pierce Avell, sometimes I replace on Good Charlotte, and I have a couple of uh, French Canadian bands here. And I also have my home studio. It's not really a home studio now, but I have a, a commercial studio with one of my friends. Uh, so when I'm home, I'm, I'm always working in my studio. Okay. So I'm doing studio and live stuff, but mostly my main income is still live sound. Let's talk about your studio. Where is it located? It's in uh, Laval. It's like uh, north of uh, Montreal. Okay. Like, uh, 15 minutes away from Montreal. And that's a space you rent or a space you own? It's a space that I rent. I mean, 
I kind of lucky because my partner rent the place and he's using my gear. So I have the place for free-ish, and but he's using my gear when I'm not here. So that's kind of the, the deal we have. So it's pretty good. I like free-ish. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so I'm, I'm lucky because when I go on the road, like, I mean, I know he's going to take care of my gear and it's not just sitting in my basement. It's like... So did your friend create the studio or did you do that together? He created because I, I only know him for like two years. I moved in Laval two years ago. One of my friends said, oh, you should, you should meet my friend because he's building a studio because he's a corporate guy. He's doing like corporate show. Right. So he's got a bunch of bands and he built the studio for all the bands he's working with to come rehearse here. Hmm. So you build a little studio. But the only gear he had was two API strips. So it was like, okay, and I made him and we became friends. And I, a month after, all my gear was here. Huh. Where was your gear before that? I used to live in a place called Actonville. It's like an hour away from Montreal. And it was in my basement. It was like a real home studio. Okay. Do you like having your stuff at an outside place outside of your house? Now, yes. Especially since I have a daughter, I would not be able to have a band and tracking drums at midnight. That would be impossible with a daughter sleeping upstairs. It's cool now. I can just go home at night and if a guy call me, hey, can you change that? Like, can you put one dB more on the vocal? I say, yeah, sure, I'm going to do it tomorrow. So I, it's more like I can have a free evening with my girlfriend. Because when I, I had a home studio, I said, okay, I'm going to do it. So I was just going downstairs and make the modification and send in. You can separate your life and the studio, which is good. Yeah. Very important that you not leave the dinner table to go make a mix adjustment. Yeah. And I used to do that pretty often. <laughs> and that's why she doesn't with me anymore. <laughs> So that's working yeah. out much better for your relationship. Yeah. And the studio, it's only uh, 15 minutes away from my house. So it's pretty good. Oh, that's not bad. Not bad at yeah, all. Yeah. When you're on the road, because your gear is at this, this studio that you share, mm -hmm. you don't have to pay rent on the studio. Exactly. Which is good. That's nice because you don't have mm -hmm. that expense. So your expenses when you're on the road are minimal, I assume. I have no expense because all the flights are paid. I got per diem, hotels are paid. So it's good money. I won't lie. It's good money. Yeah. Do you save a lot of money? I mean, yes, but I I bought so many gear, so <laughs> I'm saving I'm saving to buy gear. <laughs> Come on, Frank. You're gonna be 40. You gotta save this money. I know, I know, but I want to buy the new Chandler Red Mic. <laughs> That's my nest. <laughs> yeah, I save a lot, but I spend a lot too in the studio. I, I like I like gear. I like microphones. Yeah, I, I know the feeling. Well, take me back to where audio became something of an interest to you. Where was the moment in time that you realized, I love making records or, or I like this recording thing. This could be something useful to me. When was that? My first real record that I bought was uh, the Black Album of Metallica. Mm -hmm. I thought it sounded amazing and I always wanted to recreate what Bob Rock did. And so I would say in 1990, I mean, I became a, like a real music fan. And my brother was a, a DJ in the early uh, 1990. So I was always helping him set up the PA and set up his gear. And I also have a band when I was a teenager. And he had two tape deck. So I was recording my band, like all like four microphones into a left-right tape machine and then press play and then record the guitar. So it was like a, a real mixing and recording at the same time. Like, so I was, uh, this is how I start recording and I was recording our friend's band and there was no really a song guy in my hometown. So I was doing all the, the live sound for all the, the music in my hometown. So this is how I start making uh, records and live. Since the beginning, I always did like live and studio at the same time. It was always like uh, one week I was recording, the next week I was doing a live show. Did you have a, a favorite out of the two, out of studio and live, did you like one over the other or was it an equal match? It was pretty equal. And to this day, it's pretty equal because when I'm off road after a month, I want to go back on the road. When I'm on the road after three weeks, I can't wait to be back in the studio. So it's, it's always been equal. It's more creative, of course, in the studio, but I'm quite lucky with Simple Plan. They say I can do anything I want. So every show with Simple Plan is always like the first show because I don't have I don't use any snapshot or nothing. It's less it's like old school analog mixing. I serve the board every song. Like 
I know all the solo part and vocal and I write the show like it was my first show. Oh, that's great. I mean, because that really keeps it fresh for every mm -hmm. show and it doesn't become... I can imagine it's very easy for a front of house person who's been with a band that long, knows all the songs, could easily, with today's technology, really make it like... Super boring. Yeah, you could completely sit back and just like let everything happen. Yeah, I went to see a show and the guy has like 300 snapshots. One for every like chorus verse. So it was not touching the console. It was just like pressing next, 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 next. I was like, Jesus, this is so boring. I like to to dance with the music a little bit. When you were coming up in audio and you started to really get some knowledge under your belt, were there any mentors that really had an impact on you? Anybody that really influenced you personally that you knew? Because I was doing sound and recording. I started, I was like 14 and at 18, I decided to do the sound class. It was like a year of sound class in Drummondville, not too far from my place. And I didn't learn that much there, but one of my professor took me under his wing and this is how I learned almost everything still to this day. It taught me everything, mostly studio stuff called Jérôme Boisvert. was super nice and still one of my best friends right now to this day. So it taught me a lot. Life sound, I pretty much learned by myself, to be honest. I was touring a lot with a punk band called Sub and they got pretty famous pretty fast. So we were touring all the time and I was always watching the other song guy mixing and check how do you cue the PA and how do you cue the snare and all, all that stuff. So I was just learning by watching them mixing the show. But I never had a mentor live-wise. Where did you grow up? Where was your hometown? Yeah, it was called uh, Actonville, like an hour away from, okay. from Montreal. A super small, like 5,000 people, no bus, no train. Is you, You're stuck there. But uh, <laughs> It's funny because in that hometown, we are 10 guys who's touring the world. One of my friends working with Taylor Swift, the other guy with Metallica, two of the guys with, what's his name, uh, a famous singer. So it's funny, like, in my hometown, all my friends became pretty famous sound and live tech. <laughs> wow, what what is going on there in that town? I, I don't know, I don't know. <laughs> well, yeah, it's pretty funny. But you all knew each other growing up, right? Yeah, yeah, we're all the same age. We were in the same bands and all that. So we just it just happens that we're still in the music business and we had some good contacts, I guess. <laughs> if you didn't go into music and recording, what do you think you'd be doing? Same thing. Like I said, I didn't learn a lot there, but um, I, w I would still doing the music business for sure. But let's pretend for a moment that you didn't get the opportunity to do music. Let's pretend that you had to do a different job. I would be I would be working with my dad. <laughs> yeah, doing what? Yeah, my dad on a grocery store. So my my brother and my sisters working for my dad, and I'm the black sheep of the family. Oh, yeah. My dad used to be a, a drummer back in the day, so he was kind of happy for me that I'm in the music business. Was that a goal of yours growing up to make sure that you didn't work for your dad? No. Still to this day, it's always my my plan B. If something happened here, I can always go back working there. I would be sad though, but that's my plan B. I, I have a hard time imagining something catastrophic happening that would take you out of the music business and force you to go back working for your dad in a grocery store. I mean, if I turn deaf. That okay. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe. That would probably <laughs> that would probably do a number on your audio career. Uh, I'll give you that. Yeah, that, that would take a hit for sure. <laughs> now, tell me about in the studio, because you have this live sound gig that provides a good amount of money and doing mm -hmm. live sound for not only Simple Plan, but other bands, how does that affect what you charge people in the studio? Does it give you more flexibility to not charge very much? Or do you just try to charge like what you think you're worth? I'm charging what I think I'm worth. If I go back maybe 15 years ago, I got lucky too with the recording aspect because one of my friends called me one day, say, dude, we need to finish an album. We don't have any money. We have only 2000 bucks, which is about not even a thousand bucks US. And uh, you want to help us finish the album? So I said, yeah. And we finished the album. And in one year, they sold 200,000 copies. So that was a pretty, pretty good hit. And personally, to this day, I think it, that album sounds like crap, but the songs are great. So after the album, I just, my phone was always ringing. Oh, do you want to record us and blah, blah, blah. So um, I'm pretty lucky. I can choose my project. I can always record and can choose what project I want to work with. What would cause you to turn a project down? It's mostly the songs. Mm. 
when I think the songs are all bad, I'm like, eh, I don't want to put my name on it. Especially the singer. I have a good story about that. <laughs> a band called me, oh, we would like to work with you. I say, sure, send me your demo. Send the demo. Songs were good, but the singer sounded like crap. I mean, it was terrible. Two days after, the guy called me, oh, I'm a super honest guy. I told the guy, I said, dude, your songs are great, but the singer, the voice is not that great. And it was the singer. <laughs> oh! <laughs> so, so the band, uh, the band stopped. Uh, they just stopped doing music. Every <laughs> oops. Yeah, oops. No, I mean, that was the truth. I mean, the singers, I mean, it was not a singer. It was just like a guy who tried to sing. How did he respond? What did he I mean, say? I mean, it was, was kind of in shock when I say, he says, oh, okay, thank you. And he hang out. I say, oh my God, I was, that was kind of weird, but... <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he thought it was kind of weird too. <laughs> yeah. Wow, this guy really hates my voice. Yeah, 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 yeah. So songs are important. Yeah, songs are important because my favorite producer was Jerry Finn. He always says a good producer is a band with great songs. Even if you the greatest, I mean, I'm sure even Bob Rock would have recorded that band. It was sound like crap because there was no songs. Right. Even if you produce, you put a zillion guitar, it's still gonna be a, a bad song. It's like the band I record, it was like, oh, it sounds like crap, but the songs are amazing. And the people don't care about the song. They just care about the songs. Yeah, I definitely have a few records that I really like where sonically they're not the best. Yeah. But at the same time, sonically, the song, even though it's not the best, it somehow it enhances the power of the songs just because, exactly. I don't know. What if you have great songs and the band just doesn't have much money? I'm going to record them. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I always... Super flexible with budget. And if I'm into a project, I don't mind putting way more hours than I'm charging. Do you have a structure of how you deal with the money part of working with the band? Like some people say, well, okay, I'll take a deposit and I'll do this to get us started. Do you have anything like that or do you just keep it flexible? I should do that. But um, so far, and, and everybody paid me. So they just pay me when the project is done and that's it. Mm. I'm super flexible. Sometimes they, they pay me half when we the recording is done, but usually I just they just pay me when the project is done. I've been lucky so far and I haven't had any any issues. Because also in Quebec, everyone knows each other. So mm. if they won't pay me, everybody's going to know. Hey, our friends over at DistroKid have created the DistroKid app for Android, which allows you to do some key things such as Check your stats from Apple and Spotify, edit release metadata, upload new releases, and a host of other features. And remember, WCA listeners get 30% off your first year at DistroKid. And if you just head on over to workingclassaudio.com slash WCA30, you can follow the link, get your 30% off, and be off to the races. So check our friends out at DistroKid and make sure and get your 30% off by going to workingclassaudio.com slash WCA30. Now, one thing I want to ask you about that I've heard bits and pieces of people tell mm -hmm. me, I've heard people tell me that if you live in Canada, there is money available from the government for artists to record. Is that true? Yeah, that's true. And lots of my clients here have that money from the government. I don't know how it works, but they just, there's a process to do like papers and all that stuff. But yeah, you can get like five or 10 grand to record an album. Unbelievable. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Canada, is, there's a lot of musical culture here. So yeah, we're pretty lucky in Canada that there's a big uh, a big music business. Yeah. Is it the same on the West Coast? Because you're on the East Coast. In Quebec, we have the, the Quebec government who give money and the federal who give money too. But for the rest of Canada, maybe just the federal give the money for a subvention. And is, is the music scene, have you, like, have you spent time in Vancouver and got to observe the music scene there at all? Not Vancouver, but the Toronto. Toronto scene is pretty big at, at the moment. But I would say Montreal, we have Half Moon Run, Arcade Fire, Simple Plan, uh, Celine Dion. So Montreal, is, it's a like a big city with good musicians. But Toronto is also lots of uh, really good bands there. And uh, But for, for money-wise, I don't know if they can have access to as much money as in Quebec, but yes, they, they can have uh, money from the government for sure. If you get that money from the government, can you go record in another country? No, it has to be spent in Canada. Ah, okay. Yeah. I knew there was yeah. a catch. Yeah. Okay. But I, I, I know some band who kind of, I just 
make fake uh, invoice, but they check that pretty intensely. Like they're going to check the invoice or can call the studio and they want to make sure it's been in Canada. Now, what about other studios where you are at? Is there a decent amount of competition? Yes, actually, I'm on, on the North Shore of Montreal and we're kind of the only commercial studio here now which is good for, for us. But in Montreal, there's lots of really good studios. Mm-hmm. Studio Piccolo, which the owner is the sound guy of Celine Dion. There's a lot. I would say there's a f- six or seven like super good studio in Montreal. Hmm. And are they, size-wise, are they like traditional big SSL type rooms or are they? Yeah, they are, there's two that's pretty big SSL type. One is a big room with API. One has a Neve. So we, we get all the flavor like if you wanted the Neve sound or SSL sound, we get pretty much uh, everything you need here in Montreal. Okay. Do you ever record in the other studios? I used to. I used to do my drums at Studio Piccolo, which is like Celine Dion sound guy. But now since I have my place here, I'm always recording here. How big is your place? I would say the live room is about 30 feet by 25 feet and maybe 15 feet high. Yeah. And the control room is about, uh, I would say 15 by 10. Mm-hmm. So it's not too bad. It's a decent studio. Is the studio booked pretty often? Yes. Okay. There's someone here every week. And who are the typical clients that come to the studio? It's mostly like singers because all the singers from Quebec lives in the North Shore. So here we have parking, which is not the case in Montreal. So that's why they they want to come here now. (laughs) (laughs) So um, It's all about the parking. Yeah, it's all about the parking. And also we have big windows you can see outside. So people like that, clients like that. So we have mostly, uh, I would say, uh, seniors. I can say names, you won't know them, but they're pretty famous here in in Quebec. Do you find that from a career perspective, Mm -hmm. you could work with somebody who's huge in Canada, but then maybe not as well known in the United States so maybe you are you do well in Canada, but then the minute you set foot in the United States, people go, who? Who's that band? And who are you? Yeah. Is Do you find that that, I don't know what you'd call it, that disconnect between Canada and the United States, is that frustrating to a lot of, to a lot of people? I mean, not for me, because in Quebec, people speak French here. So there's already a, a line with French and English. So if you go in everywhere else in Canada, it's only English and in Quebec, it's mostly French. So I was working with the biggest band in Quebec and you just go in Ontario and like, who are they? Huh. So I, so I don't, I don't really care. I just, I'm just doing my job and making sure it's, it's working great with any kind of artist I'm working with. How does that work growing up as far as language? Are you taught French and English equally? No, it's uh, I mean, in my hometown, I would say nobody speaks English. Maybe like 20 people speak English. Wow. <laughs> you learn English at school, but it's very basic. Even me, I, I started speaking English like 10 years ago with Simple Plan because before that I had a decent English, but touring the world, you have no choice. You, you speak more English. But even to the, even my English is not perfect, but I can go anywhere and I'm fine. Your English far out does my French. I'll tell you that. Yeah, that's for, yeah, I believe that. I'm not going to even, <laughs> I'm not going to even go there. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, when, um, when some people ask me, oh, what should I do if I want to, tour the world, first of all, learn English. So what did you do? How did you learn it? Like I said, I had a basic English and 10 years ago, the crew was mostly English. I was just speaking English. So after a year, I was kind of all right. But when you're touring, it's always the same subject. You just say, I need three sub snake, I need the profile, I need mic placement there. So it's when you want to have a conversation, it's more difficult. But when you're on stage, it's always the same subject. It's always like kick mic and split <laughs> right. But the, but the minute you start to speak English and clearly communicate, I need these technical requirements, do people start then trying to engage you in conversation in English that you can't keep up with? Yeah. 10 years ago, I, I would have not been able to go on a date with a girl in the States. Huh. Well, no, I don't care. I have my girlfriend, but... <laughs> but it's funny you tell me this because just hanging out with you at NAM in Anaheim, I never sensed that you had any trouble with English whatsoever. Yeah, but I understand everything. It's mostly like the past, like the use or used in all this stuff. I mean, I can have a conversation and people will understand me, but my phrase, I'm not perfectly, uh, if it's present or past, or uh, that's more difficult. Yeah, and Chris Salem always complains about that. Oh, I don't know about my English. And the people around him were always like, what? what? What's wrong with your English? 
He's lying because he's from Ontario, so. (laughs) (laughs) About a year and a half ago, I signed up for Sampley.app and I have to report back and say that I'm completely thrilled with it and it's working out quite well. It gives me the ability to upload mixes and masters to the website and provide a super pro looking interface for my clients. They can drop comments in the timeline. They can listen on any device. They can listen to it in high res. And if I want them to pay for the mix or master before they download it, because of the Stripe integration, I can set that up. There's also Dropbox integration, which allows me to quickly create a folder in my Dropbox, which automatically syncs with Samply, makes it much more simple. You should check it out for yourself, but there's a deal to be had. So use the code WCA20. Go to Samply.app or Samply.app. Use the code WCA20, get 20% off, and you'll be off to the races. It's a fantastic tool that I think you're going to enjoy and will definitely make you look a lot more pro when you're delivering files to clients. Skip that whole business where you send it to them over Dropbox. That looks totally amateur at this point. Use Samply.app and use that code WCA20, and I think you're going to be really thrilled. Sampley.app. Check it out. There's a lot of, I don't know how to say it, but in Canada with French being spoken where you're from and English Mm -hmm. primarily in in other places, is that a challenge? Is that a big issue? No. I mean, me, I'm a Canadian. I like my country. I like Canada. But you got the separatists in Quebec. I don't know how many they are, but they want to separate from Canada. So there's always been a tension when you go do a show in, let's say, in Winnipeg. And oh, you say, are oh, you from Quebec? Oh, you want to? Why you want to separate? I say, I don't want to separate. So sometimes they just argue with you, but that's the only uh, issue that can happen. Yeah, We're, we are a pretty uh, peaceful country in Canada. Yeah, yeah. You all are known for being peaceful. Yeah. <laughs> well, so I want to ask you about the future. So as yep. far as I know, you're you're not even forty yet, but are you thinking in terms of how you're saving for retirement? Well, right now it's my gear. <laughs> okay. So if, I'm going to sell my gear to retire. But uh, yeah, I, I always put money aside every year, a couple of thousand for my old days. For your old self in the future. Exactly. But I'm kind of, if I'm still with the same girl, she's working for the government. So I'm going to be lucky. She's going to pay for everything when I'm, when I'm going to be old. <laughs> So that's my goal right now. Yeah, until she hears this this interview, she's going to be like, "No, she knows." Oh, really, she knows. Frank? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so but yeah, I'm always I mean, it's hard, but I'm always putting some especially now with with my daughter, I want to save as much as I can for her too. Oh yeah. That's so far so good. Yeah, after you had a child, did that change your buying habits and how much gear you bought? Yes, because my goal was to buy an SSL. And now I can't. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I'm always, since the last, I would say five years, I'm always buying something that's going to get value. I don't buy like a warm audio compressor. Okay. Because if I bought it, I won't be able to set it the same price or higher. But if you buy an old 1176, the price is still going to be the same in about 10 years. Maybe more. Maybe more, exactly. Yeah, so yeah. I always try to buy vintage stuff or like really high-end good stuff that I can sell easily. Or I'm always looking for like the, a good deal. Like I bought a Shadow Hill compressor, awesome price, and I sold it a thousand more like two months after. Do you like buying and selling gear on a regular basis? I don't really sell my gear. Okay. But uh, yeah, I sold it to buy the Chandler microphone. Okay, okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I have a friend who calls it horse trading it's like when you're yeah. buying and selling gear it's that's he says oh you're doing a little bit of horse trading i see yeah, yeah yeah that makes sense yeah i mean the gear i bought like 15 years ago i still have it and i'm still using it what causes you to want to buy a piece of gear like when you go to nam and you see all that gear yeah what yeah there's certain things that you're like oh that's nice that's really cool but mm-hmm. what at the end of the day when you plump down that credit card or write that check or what however you pay for it what is it that makes you spend the money on a piece of gear what is it about that gear i mean now i always try what i buy and when i just try like a vocal i'm like uh my i'm like oh my god this sounds amazing i have to buy it that's mostly like when it's like oh my god i need it it sounds great on vocal or drums i want to buy it but now since i have like more like a commercial studio a guy like six months 
ago came in and says, I, I got the Vintech Audio X73. And so oh, it doesn't sound like a real 1073. So I bought a real 1073 for just, for, just for that. <laughs> you bought, you went, did but, you buy a vintage one or did you buy an, a modern one? A vintage one. Okay. Back in the days, I was a huge fan of Bob Rock. So I was looking at all the videos it was using. It's mostly the gear I have here is more like a copy of what Bob Rock used to have. I too am a Bob Rock fan. Now, he's a fellow Canadian. Yep. Is he like, he, I guess, you know, he's kind of a big rock star of Canada, right? Mm-hmm. I, I had the chance to met him once because he, he did the second Simple Plan album. And we did a show in Vancouver and he came to the show. And we chat a little bit, super nice guy, super cool. So I was like, oh my God, it's like my dream to meet him. And he told me the guitar was the best guitar live sound he ever heard. So I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> In my mind I was like, you should tell Metallica, I want to mix Metallica. <laughs> yeah. You should take me with you to mix the next Metallica record. Yeah, yeah. Do you advertise the studio at all? Do you? How do you promote yourself so that work does come to the studio or to you in some capacity? It's always been, um, how you say that in English? Word of mouth? Yeah, word of mouth. How do you say it in French? Bush oreille is, is the same thing. It's like mouth to here. Huh. So I, I'm I'm on the process to have a, a web page, but it's kind of a slow process, I guess. But uh, yeah, it's always been like, like you said, I've been pretty lucky. It's always like, I mean, my, my partner know a lot of people in the music business. So now they know they have a studio here and... You just call him and they want to try the studio. So is your website up? Not yet. <laughs> not, not yet. <laughs> Soon though. Uh, and what is the studio called? Does the studio have a website? The company has a website. It's Moonsun Music. The studio is Moonsun Studio. But the Moonsun Music website, it's more like the corporate band that you can see and book and all that stuff. Okay. Okay. But the Moon Sun Studio don't have a like a, a page right now. Wow. And and people are still that is a, a testament to the word of mouth. Yeah. And then also people, lots of people want to work with me or Michael, my partner. So that's why they, they call here. Do you find that because you've been with Simple Plan this long and, and your name is out there and you meet a lot of people on the road, does that have an effect on the studio work you get? In other words, does it help? To be honest, not that much because I, I've mixed a couple of Simple Plan EP and uh, songs on some albums and nobody cares. <laughs> they just, <laughs> to be honest, nobody cares. It's, it's like, especially now, you cannot see who mix or record the album. There, there's no, nobody buy albums anymore. And on Spotify, you cannot see who mixed the album. So they don't really care. But here in Quebec, working with Simple Plan, of course, helped me to record more like punk rock music for sure. Because bands, bands who are of that genre will find you because they know that you work with Simple Plan. Exactly. And if, if they want a Simple Plan song, they, they kind of call me. But since the beginning, I've always been working with punk rock. And punk rock music is more my go-to recording and my main, uh, this is where I'm more in control of everything. Well, Frank, this has been great. I really yeah, enjoyed man. hanging out with you in Anaheim and, and really immediately I hit it off with you, I felt, and I enjoyed our, our hangouts. So... I would tell people to go to your website, but you don't have your website together. When you get your website together, I will put that in the show notes. They can check my Instagram. Oh. Frank underscore Jolie, J-O-L-Y. You can see the studio stuff and the live stuff that I do. Okay. I will put that. We will put Frank's Instagram feed and the website is coming in a future date near you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I can't wait to see you uh, and the guy. It was was super, uh, super cool at NAMM to, to meet you all. Super nice people. And I had a blast. It was fun. Yeah, we had a good time. I yeah. Think so what did you think of that hotel? To be honest, it was not that bad. Yeah. It, it was <laughs> For the price, I was like, because I, when I arrived, I was like, oh my God. Because usually I'm more like an Ilton guy. I'm not going to lie. When I arrived and the room was clean, no carpet. When there's no carpet, I'm sold already. So... Yeah. So that was not too bad. Yeah. And the and the coffee shop in front was great. Yeah. I'm going to put a link in the show notes to this coffee shop. I talked about yep. it in my NAM episode and, and it was really good. And if you're ever in Anaheim in this, actually, I think it's on the border of Anaheim and Orange, California. Yeah. I'm not exactly sure. I'll look it up. Anyhow. It's about 10 minutes from Disney, Disneyland, so not, not too far. Not too far. And really great yep. coffee shop. I know. I was a little skeptical. <laughs> And it's funny because yeah. Lidge, Lidge, yeah. he really pushed for this place and um, he got a free night out of it. 
Oh, yeah? Because with, through some website he Points. uses, maybe it was Hotels.com, I don't know. He got okay. a um, he got a free night. So our bill, my part of the bill for Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, so four nights, Yep, I paid $179. Yeah, that's that's nothing. I think I paid with Chris uh, two fifty or something. Yeah, this is nothing. Yeah, I mean it, it was it was well priced. So something funny because when I arrived, Chris posted something on Instagram. Five minutes after that, my girlfriend called me. Are you going to sleep there for sure? Are you sure you're going to sleep there? <laughs> that's not your normal Hilton <laughs> yeah, hotel not, experience. Yeah, exactly. I said, yeah, it's great. And no, for real, it was clean, and uh, I have nothing bad to say about the hotel. Free breakfast, also. Internet sucked though, but oh yeah, the that's, internet that's did right. suck. Yeah, the internet they suck. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, free yogurt at breakfast that Chris Salim conveniently <laughs> spilled on on the owner's car. Yeah, from the top level. That I wish I could have seen that. Yeah, me too. Me too. All right, Frank. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. I will put a link to your Instagram, and uh, maybe you'll pick up some followers from this. Awesome. Yeah, and, it's a pleasure, man. Yeah, great to see you. And for my audience, now you got to go watch Scooby Doo. And listen to Simple Plan, <laughs> and then check out their records as well, of course. Yeah, and I think we're going to be back on in the states in the, in June. So if we uh, go back to San Francisco, yeah. If I'm, I'm not, I may I sure. may be in Germany in June, but oh yeah. If I'm not, I will definitely come out and hang out with you in the band. Awesome, can't wait. Okay, great to talk to you, and we'll chat with you later. Our friends over at Cali Audio have just introduced the brand new LP UNF system, which is meant to give you everything you need from a studio monitor in a package that you can basically set up anywhere. And the system is specifically designed for your desk. So no matter how else you're using your desk, reflections from the drivers to the desk to your ears are accounted for giving you a perfectly clear picture of your mix that you can rely on to translate well. Whether you're putting them on stands behind your desk, on a desk away from walls, on a desk against a wall, on a desk on speaker stands away from the walls, there's a number of configurations and they have settings on the back to accommodate all of that and more. And if price is a concern, never fear. They're priced at $299. That's right, pretty affordable. Head on over to caliaudio.com and check out the new LP UNF. Frank Jolly here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Thanks so much for being here with me today. I want to thank my crew that helps out every time, and that includes Anne-Marie Plo on the editing, Cliff Truesdell on the Working Class Audio theme song. There it is. And Mr. Chuck Smith with that lovely voice of his. And I want to thank you all for listening. I appreciate it. Week after week after week, you keep coming back. Solid. All right. Hey, check me out on LinkedIn. And until next time, take care. Hey, I know many of you are aware of this, but for those of you that aren't aware, Working Class Audio sponsors the forum over at gearspace.com called Audio Life. And quite simply put, it's a place where audio professionals can go to talk with other audio professionals about things other than audio gear, including life hacks, work-life balance, health and hearing loss. You know, if you want to talk with other audio professionals who can identify with what your lifestyle is like, and how it relates to things going on in the world outside of audio, this is a great place to go and check out. So head on over to gearspace.com, check out Audio Life, many of the same topics that we discuss here on the show on gearspace.com. So check that out.